Thanks for tuning in to the Diabetes Dish Podcast brought to you by DiabeticLifestyle.com. Here's your host, Maureen Connolly. Welcome to today's webinar, Exploring the Role of Sweeteners and Added Fibers in Your Journey to Better Health, brought to you by Tate & Lyle. I'm Maureen Connolly, the editor of DiabeticLifestyle.com and the host of The Diabetes Dish, a webinar and podcast series from Vertical Health. So if you're not already a regular visitor to Diabetic Lifestyle, come check us out because we've got fantastic articles and a library of podcasts and webinars on how you can better manage prediabetes, type 1, and type 2 diabetes. You'll find hundreds of CDE-approved recipes, the latest medication guides, inspirational stories, celebrity interviews, and lots more. So before we get started, a few quick notes. The presentation is about 45 minutes, and then we'll follow with a 10-minute question and answer session. You can type your questions in the box that you see in the lower right-hand corner of your screen. And if you can't stay with us for the whole webinar, don't worry. You'll get an email with a link to access the recording and the slides so you can view the webinar whenever you like. Okay, so now for today's much anticipated webinar, maintaining a healthy, maintaining a healthy weight and blood sugar level is hard work. But today we're going to learn about how low calorie, calorie sweeteners and added fibers may be helpful for people managing type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And I can't think of two more qualified people to be talking about this topic today. Diabetic Lifestyle Advisory Board member Susan Weiner, who is an RDN, MS, CDE, CDN, and owner of Susan Weiner Nutrition. And then we have Christine Clark, who's a PhD RDN and Director of Sports Nutrition and Assistant Professor of Nutrition Science at Penn State University. They're here to discuss how the incorporation of low-calorie sweeteners and added fibers into a daily diet can help manage weight and blood glucose levels. Welcome to both of you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Maureen, and a big thank you to Diabetic Lifestyle for always sharing the most up-to-date, reliable, and useful information for people with diabetes and for health professionals. And thank you so much for everyone who tuned in for today's webinar. Many of us who are listening today are carrying around just a few of those extra unwanted pounds. And that excess weight, we already know, may affect our health in so many ways, and that includes how people with diabetes manage their blood glucose levels and manage their type 2 diabetes, because if we have that extra weight, it definitely affects our health. We know that people who are affected by excess weight um, and extreme excess weight or obesity may be more likely to develop type 2 diabetes as a related condition to carrying around that excess weight, especially in your midsection. And if you're overweight, you have an increased risk of developing heart disease, as well as certain types of cancers, sleep apnea, osteoporosis, and some other conditions. Statistics show that about 80% of people who have type 2 diabetes are also overweight. Not everyone, but a good portion of people and many, maybe many of you who are listening today as well. But it isn't clear why those who are overweight may be more likely to develop this disease. It might be that being overweight causes cells to change, making them more resistant to that ever important hormone, insulin. And insulin is the hormone that helps to carry glucose from the blood into the cells 
where it is used for energy. But in addition, the cells that produce insulin from the beta cells of the pancreas must work extra hard to keep blood glucose levels into that target range in people who are overweight. So we know that weight loss can help. And we also know that there are a number of risk factors that we can't change. You can't pick your parents. You can't change your family history or your genetics. An increase in age is also associated with a higher incidence of type 2 diabetes. But there are definite things that we can do in our lifestyle. We can reduce our stress. We can sleep more, we can exercise more, and today we're going to talk about certain things that we could manage with our food and with our diets so that we can help to moderate and maintain good blood glucose levels. So Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I can't think of a better expert to have on this subject. Thanks so much. So, Chris, what are health authorities around the globe saying about our sugar intake? We hear so much about weight management and reducing sugar. What are the health organizations saying about it? Well, you're bringing up a really good point. You know, prior to looking at the slide that everyone is looking at, you mentioned the relationship between various levels of, uh, of weight um, and its relationship to being diagnosed with diabetes. So, you know, it's not a secret that looking at sugar as a, as a carbohydrate is something that we've been talking about in the profession of nutrition, as well as many, many major organizations that create position statements have been talking about. And here we see that there's finally been some um, support and recommendations made. Um, the U.S. dietary guidelines that haven't been out too long are suggesting that sugar intake be 10% or less of daily caloric intake. And another major organization that is chiming in is the Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition and Carbohydrates and Health from the United Kingdom. They're suggesting that sugar intake be 10% or less of daily caloric intake. And then lastly on this slide, we're looking at the recommendations from the World Health Organization, which suggests that sugar intake be 5% or less of daily caloric intake. Now these are very, very important to pay attention to as a professional as well as a consumer because these recommendations have come from strong evidence-based studies showing that as sugar declines as part of our total caloric package, it could have a real impact on helping us manage weight as well as blood glucose. Which is very important for us as registered dietitians and nutritionists because we work with people, um, our patients, our clients, and their families. So this is very important to understand this evidence-based research. That's right. And one of the things that we were hoping would be coming out in 2018 are the next nutrition um, labels. So what we heard in the news over the past couple of weeks, could we have the next slide, please? Thanks. Um, is that these 
newly awaited nutrition facts panels, which should be easier for Americans to see how many calories, big bolded on the top, one slide back, how many calories are actually in the nutrition facts labels was supposed to be a big bolded number. We could see on this slide 230, and there was supposed to be another added lines for new added sugar. But as most of us has read, have read in the news over the past few weeks, now the Food and Drug Administration is saying it's going to push back the deadline for, for the rule requiring food companies to use the new food label. And this is making it a little concerning because it's confusing for consumers. They're saying that the label may not come out for the next few years. But Chris, I wanted to ask you when the labels are finally expected to come out, why is it important to show the calories and what does that new added sugar line actually mean? How will that help consumers in selecting a food product? Well, you're right. These are very, very important changes that have been recommended. And the, the reason why calories are in bold and in bigger font now is we want to highlight the fact that calories per serving really do matter because each consumer has the opportunity to pick up two different products, let's say maybe even three, and compare what they're getting in terms of a portion size and how many calories they're getting. Because as we've already been mentioning, calories do matter in the total scheme of what our total caloric intake is, and then therefore how that impacts our weight. The other thing is the new added sugars line. Well, we all want to be monitoring what are our added sugars, because we're hoping that and we're going to be talking about this today, that companies, food companies, are going to be changing the amount of grams of added sugar in a large range of products and beverages, foods and beverages. And consumers, as well as dietitians, need to start paying more attention to the added sugars line because we can make better food choices when we see that, wow, there's only three grams of added sugar in this new yogurt product as an example versus 10 grams of added sugars. This can make a very, very big difference in our total grams of carbohydrates consumed each day. And then again, going back to let's see how many grams of sugar, added sugar can be taken away. And then how does that impact total caloric value? So these two new recommendations on food labels are really going to play a beneficial role in helping uh, any individual consumer make food selection choices at point of point of choice in the grocery store. Yeah, that's a really great point. And as we know, we do recommend that people eat more fruits and vegetables, which do have some sugars and carbohydrates in them. But these are the added sugars in food products that we would really like consumers to have a heads up on. So we're looking forward to that as well. Chris, what are people actually doing? You did a great job summarizing some of the data, the position papers, what the new added sugar line when it eventually comes to the food label will look like, but what are people actually doing to reduce sugars in order to help lower calories in their daily intake of food? Well, as the slide that everyone is looking at shows, 
consumers are doing actually a lot of creative um, behavior changes to reduce their added sugars and total calories. I think the important point is to look on the left side of this screen and to see that 76% of consumers are actually aware that reducing or avoiding added sugars has beneficial impacts. This is huge, I think. And, and if we start drilling down, we can look at, okay, well, what exactly are these 76% doing? And the very thing that we would most like them to, to see do is eliminate high calorie sweetened beverages. And so more water is being consumed and caloric beverages are declining in consumption. This is a great way to reduce added sugars. Um, other things that they're doing, eliminating certain foods and beverages from their diet. So they're really going out of their way to avoid foods that they're aware of have been contributing added sugars and maybe excess calories to their diet. They're not using table sugar as much. That's another strategy. Um, they're using the nutrition facts label to help them make decisions about what foods to purchase. They're consuming smaller portions of favorite foods. They're using low calorie sweeteners instead of using regular sugar. And you can see as the list goes on, there are other strategies that consumers are using to engage in changed behavior to reduce or avoid added sugars and therefore calories. This is very exciting. And my feeling as, a, as an educator in the area of nutrition is we need to capitalize on promoting this as well as reinforcing it. Because in the grand scheme of things, using a combination of these uh, strategies are going to really add up to carbohydrate savings as well as total calorie savings. What really stood out to me in your discussion of what people are doing is the beverages, because when I take a or discuss what somebody's eating, I don't call it a diet history anymore, but we're just having a conversation about what they're eating. Rarely do people talk about what they're drinking. So right. that's left out very often if people are drinking beverages that do contain a lot of these excess calories. That's definitely a lot of good advice for us as nutrition experts to know and for people with diabetes who are trying to maintain weight and to lose weight to work with it at all. So as good as all those points are and, and as, I, I don't know, that's, that's really something to look forward to making some of those changes. What is it that is making some people hesitant to move forward in terms of reducing sugar consumption? What are some of the challenges that you think that people have when they're selecting a food product that might have fewer added sugars or using other sweeteners? The rationale that comes to mind as a, as a registered dietitian is people are fearful of giving up favorite foods and compromising on taste or texture. Um, it's one of the reasons why people hesitate to um, change foods for, from a calorie reduction standpoint to adopt new eating behaviors because they're fearful of giving up um, behaviors that they really value and love. And I think that there is reason now why food companies are helping us make changes. And some of those changes that are going to trickle down to the consumer is adding fibers 
that um, are going to be adding total fiber to foods, but also combining with added fibers, low or, or calorie-free um, sweetening agents. And these are two, uh, two strategies food companies are using to really help individuals know that they can save calories and they can do many, many um, good things to help them keep the taste and texture that they love in their favorite foods, but still save calories and save carbohydrates. Many people often don't realize that sugar, the regular sugar that they've known um, from ta as table sugar, provides more than just a sweet taste, but that this sugar also adds bulking agents and, and contributes to the overall texture of foods that they love. Um, for example, when you bake cookies, sugar helps with all three of the qualities that I've mentioned, such as texture, bulk, and browning. And this is something that people hesitate to really compromise on. But combining sweeteners with added fibers can help achieve calorie reductions and keep the overall taste and texture that people love. And so added fibers, um, in addition, will also benefit people from physiological functional standpoint. And um, we know that fiber in general aids overall digestive health, supports blood glucose control, influences satiety or fullness, and may contribute to a reduction of cholesterol, and in general supports overall healthy gut health. So there are many, many good reasons to pay attention to changes that the food industry, food and beverage industry, may be making to help us with food selection in adding, adding fiber and also switching out regular sugar with low calorie sweeteners or reduced ca or, or calorie free sweeteners. So those are all fantastic points and many of us are familiar with a number of the sweeteners that are currently on the market and I think it might be helpful for us to review a few of those because people always have questions about them, what they are, are they safe? Should we be using them? So there are a number of different sweetening options that many of them that we've seen, uh, they taste slightly differently, different and some of them are stronger than others. Can you please go through a few of these? Let's start at the top with sucralose and work our way down. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I since you mentioned the safety point, I just wanna point out that all of the sweeteners on this slide, the, these are either low calorie or calorie free sweeteners, they are all safe and they have been tested and um, any viewer of this webinar needs to know that um, they are safe to use. Uh, and as you mentioned, they all have subtle differences in taste. So let me start with sucralose as you've suggested. First of all, sucralose is a zero calorie sweetening agent and it has a, very much a sugar-like taste, but is 600 times sweeter than sugar. So very small amounts need to be used to get, the, to get that sweet taste. Um, the next one on the list is stevia. It's a high potency, zero calorie sweetener, and it's made from a stevia plant it's approximately 200 to 300 times sweeter than sugar. And so again, the, the good news is it needs to be used in very, very small amounts to get the same kind of expected taste that sugar would provide. 
monk fruit might be a sweetening agent that only a few people have heard of. And it is it originates from a natural uh, plant, which is called the monk fruit plant, which grows in subtropical climates such as Asia. And it's about 150 to 200 times sweeter than sugar. Um, aspartame may be one of the more familiar um, sweetening agents, about 200 times sweeter than sugar. Um, it is a product that is on the market and um, most people recognize it um, as equal. Um, another one on this list, sorbitol, is about 60% as sweet as sugar. And sorbitol is actually a sugar alcohol derived from either fruits, corn, or even seaweed. Um, and it can be found in combination with other sweetening agents. Uh, and then lastly on this list is probably the sweetening agent that most people on this webinar are less familiar with. Um, allulose falls into a unique category of sugars referred to as a rare sugar. And it exists in nature and is found in some fruits such as figs and raisins, but also in products that are very familiar with people, such as maple syrup as well as molasses. Allulose provides the taste and functional properties of sugar without most of the calories because it's not metabolized by the body. It's very sweet, but not quite as sweet as sugar. It's about 70% as sweet as sugar. And right now, allulose is not found on the grocer's shelf, but it is found in many food products, enabling a reduction in total carbohydrates, as well as a reduction in total calories in those food products or beverage products that it's found in. So it's going to be on the nutrition facts label so people are able to look at products that they might be buying and see the word allulose. So something to be aware of and familiarize yourself with. Wow, those are a lot of different choices that people are going to have to make the distinction between. Thank you for going through all of those. And you've mentioned a lot about the added fibers. These are fibers that are going to be added to food products that we might see on the grocer's shelf. What are some of these added fibers? Which are the most common ones that we'll see? And, and how do they help the texture of the food product that we find them in? Well, there are some awesome added fibers that you all see on on this slide. And I want to start with oat beta-glucan, which is made from oats and barley and has been shown to lower blood lipids as well as reduce blood glucose response. These fibers also, I just want to point out, and I'm sorry I didn't point it out the first thing, all of these added fibers have the very same physiological benefits as intact fibers, or in other words, fibers found naturally in foods. So again, starting with oat beta-glucan, um, they all have these great physiological benefits that we'll be referring to in the next several slides. But let's jump down to cellulose. Cellulose, as many of you have heard in the past, is made from plant foods, and it helps with regular digestive health in the form of regular bowel movements. So can play a very important role for a lot of individuals. Polydextrose is made from corn and may support favorable blood glucose and insulin response, but it can also serve as a prebiotic. 
and it can help with dental health, and it also may help with digestive health from a bowel movement regularity standpoint. The next one on our list is soluble corn fiber. It comes from, naturally, corn and may support favorable blood glucose and insulin response. It can also serve as a prebiotic, but interestingly enough, it may influence an increase in calcium absorption. It may support bone calcium retention and also may help with bowel movement regularity. Psyllium is made from the psyllium husk and it's been shown to lower blood lipids and also influence a regularity in bowel movement. And the last one on our list is resistant starch. It's made from plant foods and also helps with regular bowel movement. These are just examples of some common fibers that are added to foods and potentially beverages that the food and, the food and beverage industry has really taken upon themselves to add to make a difference in some great benefits such as satiety and as you have heard me mention, blood glucose control and digestive health. These added fibers are going to be found in a lot of foods that we're regularly buying, such as yogurt, granola bars, and even in some juices. So we all need to be looking at the nutrition label and be expecting to see some of these added fibers because, again, they're going to help us reduce calories and reduce total carbohydrates. And what are some of the leading health organizations that some of the ones that we have listed on this screen, what are they saying about translating um, this information about the sweeteners to meet some of our goals? Um, what, what are they saying here? And, 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 and to be clear about these recommendations, we want to be very sensitive to people who have diabetes who are trying to lower their carbohydrate consumption. Um, what, what, how do we take the information that they're putting out as guidelines and translate this to real life? Well, that's a great question, um, Susan. And the, the thing about these uh, organizations that are listed on the slide is they have vetted all of the research. And so their recommendations are coming from a point of science and evidence-based research. And they have really given us some great guidelines. The American Heart Association and the American Diabetes Association have both concluded that when used carefully, sweeteners may aid in reducing calories and assist with weight loss or weight maintenance. And they additionally go on to say that the benefits that using low or reduced calorie sweeteners can have a huge impact on metabolic parameters. The American Diabetes Association's updated standards of medical care in diabetes identifies sweeteners to have potential to reduce overall calorie and carbohydrate intake and actually may be preferred to sugar when consumed in moderation. So essentially what we, the take home message so far is that low or calorie free sweeteners are beneficial. Lastly, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics have a position paper on sweeteners that states consumers can safely enjoy a range of nutritive as well as non-nutritive sweeteners when consumed within an eating plan that is guided by current 
federal nutrition recommendations, as well as individual health goals and personal preferences. So getting back to that concept of our calorie-free sweeteners or low-calorie sweetening agents, safe and effective, and all three of these organizations that you see on the slide agree that when used in moderation with careful thought, they meet all of those key points in safety as well as um, aiding in weight management, weight maintenance, and calorie reduction, as well as carbohydrate control. And it's important to point out to discuss when you are going to include, if you decide to include these sweeteners into your diet, to discuss it with your healthcare provider in the amount that you're using it. I read a study this week actually that came out that pointed to women who are drinking very large amounts of a artificially sweetened beverage did have higher weights of, of children. There was some kind of a retrospective study on that, but there were other variables that are not considered in some of those studies, um, especially suggesting it to people who might be pregnant or lactating or to small children. So I do appreciate these position papers and really reading what meta-analysis meta they're doing on the research so that it's translated into real life. I think that that's just incredibly important. And I thank you so much for pointing it out so people can go and actually read the evidence-based papers and what they're actually saying. Right. And I, I just want to um, echo your comment that whenever you're changing your eating plan, um, it's best to consult with your diabetes educator, your nutritionist, your physician, or whatever healthcare pro provider you're working with so that they know what changes you've made. So I think that that's something very critical to, to just promote. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that we know that you know, all these things and how important it is to reduce the amount of sugar, how can sweeteners actually help with weight management? What is it about them that's helping? Well, clearly, whenever a sweetener is, um, is altered, so regular table sugar, for example, is now being changed to a low or reduced calorie um, sweetening agent or calorie-free, for example, we're saving not only carbohydrates, but we're saving total calories. So the body of research evidence suggests that when that happens, there's going to be improvement in weight management as well as improved blood glucose control. Um, there are often sensationalized headlines around low-calorie sweetening agents. Many papers you may have seen are focused on just one study or on animal studies. But when new research is published, it's really important to consider it within the total body of scientific evidence on the topic. And we know that choosing sweeteners um, may help, like a low-calorie or a reduced-calorie sweetener, may actually make a difference in moderating carbohydrate intake. And, and whenever that happens, we know that there's going to be somewhat of a reduction or a change in total calories in that serving size of food. So that may make a really big difference in blood glucose. That um, makes perfect wanna, sense. Yeah, I want to mention that um, there was a meta-analysis of 16 studies. And when those studies were evaluated, 
there was a conclusion that using food and drinks sweetened with low calorie or reduced calorie sweeteners instead of regular sugar, it resulted in a small but significant reduction in total energy or calorie intake and consequently body weight. So I think that that's a really important point to make that it may not be a huge change, but it's going in the right direction. And I think that any help consumers get with managing their carbohydrate intake or their total calorie intake, there's a beneficial um, there's a beneficial reason to choose that kind of a food. And um, and I think that we need to promote the fact that any change um, is, a, is a good change, regardless of how big that change might be. So let's move on to allulose because like everyone listening today, I'm very curious about this new sweetener that's on the market. Can you enlighten us to where we, what foods contain allulose, um, a little bit about where it would be found in nature, and some of the research around this particular sweetener. Right. Well, when I when we were talking about the list of either low or calorie-free sweeteners um, a few slides ago, we did bring up allulose, and, and I recognize that many people on this webinar may not really have heard of allulose. And, and again, it is a natural... Um, sweetening agent. It exists in raisins and figs, two fruits that many people are aware of, but it's also found in maple syrup and molasses, um, ingredients that many of us have in our cupboard. Um, and the, the very exciting thing about allulose from my perspective is that it has functional properties from a taste and texture standpoint, similar to regular table sugar. So when it's used in foods or beverages, it's going to provide very similar taste and texture in those foods that as, as, as a dietitian or as a consumer, I've come to expect in those foods or beverages that I might buy. So from a clinical research standpoint, we know that allulose is safe for consumption, it's not metabolized by the body, and therefore has very negligible calories. Um, studies found that allulose doesn't raise blood glucose or insulin in those with normal glycemia, nor in those individuals with type 2 diabetes. Um, and then lastly, research on allulose shows it's very well tolerated, and that's one thing that we want to point out. So about 30 grams per day can be tolerated very well, and, um, and it has grass status. So that just means generally uh, recognized as safe. So this is all really good news. Now, because the news is so good, everybody might be thinking, okay, I'm going to go buy this. I'm going to give it a try. But the, but the situation right now is that allulose is not available for purchase. It is used by the food and beverage industry, and it's found in many common foods. Um, I mentioned earlier, but let me just reiterate, yogurt, granola bars, baked products, and in some beverages. Um, you're going to be seeing it on food labels. So, you know, it's great to recognize it, um, but right now at this point in, in time, we can't purchase it. But um, it's going to be used with added fibers, some of those fibers that I've already mentioned, to enable not only carbohydrate savings, total calorie savings, but also getting the great physiological benefits of added fiber. 
that's something to look forward to. It sounds very, very promising. Chris, as we've discussed in the past, we are friends and colleagues and we talk a lot about the people that we work with. And I've been in private practice for over 28 years. I always, always, always talk about eating more vegetables, more fruits, getting fibers from legumes, whole grains, and work with the people who are trying to lose weight, all my people with diabetes who I, I work with, um, most of my client population. And we try to get more fiber in the diet through these wholesome type of foods. And we go through recipes. I refer a lot of people to the great recipes on the diabetic lifestyle pages. But the truth of the matter is, with the amount of fiber that's recommended that we take in over 25 grams a day, most people just do not eat that much fiber through usual foods. Is it because they're so busy or they're concentrating too much of their fiber intake into the latter part of the day when they're having dinner, although we try to spread it out? With today's rapid on-the-go type of lifestyle, how do you make sure that you're getting enough fiber into your daily intake without you know, really giving up taking in too many extra calories or too much other foods? Well, that's a million dollar question. Um, you know, no one, I, I, I'm sure I should backtrack and just say most people, because there's probably someone on this <laughs> webinar that actually does add up their fiber grams every day. But I would say the average person is not keeping a tally sheet on their desk or on their smartphone adding up grams of fiber. And in fact, unless they really are using some kind of um, phone app, they, 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 not, they don't know how many grams of fiber are in the portion size of fruit or vegetable that they're eating. And, you know, we've been talking about saving calories, saving carbohydrates. And when we as dietitians or healthcare providers promote more fruits and vegetables, to bulk up the number of grams of fiber someone needs each day. We're also talking about adding more carbohydrates and more calories to the diet. So number one, I wanna just say, um, foods that have added fibers are giving us the same physiological benefits as intact fruits and vegetables or other plant foods containing fiber give us. But the better aspect of these added fibers is that they're coming into our diet with no extra calories. Now, fiber is virtually a calorie-free nutrient. We know that. But when you're eating a piece of fruit, you're getting that extra fiber, but it's still getting extra carbohydrates and extra calories. Mm -hmm. So one of the good news is that we can help people find food that they would normally eat, such as yogurt or, or a juice product that now has reduced or lower calorie sweetening agents in it, but also added fiber. These can enable us to get more fiber and reduced calories as well as reduced carbohydrates. So we're just wanting to encourage people to make a slight shift in potentially the foods that they're already purchasing. And we can, we can see that, for example, a yogurt product, a regular yogurt product that might have one or two grams of fiber in it, you know, still a contributor, but pretty low, 
they could now buy a yogurt for reduced calories because there's less added sugar, but also it could contain as many as eight or nine grams of added fiber. So these are ways in which we can help people get more fiber. And if someone says, I can get two pieces of fruit in my diet a day, maybe not four, but I can get two in. I can get two servings of vegetables in my diet a day, maybe not three to five, but I can do as as well as two. Then they can add in a couple of food products with added fiber. Now we can give them the sense that they can achieve that 25 plus grams of fiber a day and get that great prebiotic benefit, that great gut health benefit, the benefit of added fibers to help manage their blood glucose, their insulin response, as well as um, their overall general feeling of fullness, which is something we're not really getting into as much of today, but it's really a key benefit to managing calorie intake. There's so much great information here. You're right. We could do a whole webinar on just the benefits of fiber. So fantastic information and definitely food for thought. And you were just talking about some of the added adding fiber without adding the calories into it. And that's so important for people who are trying to um, lose a few pounds for all the reasons that we're talking about today. I think that we should also point out that not all fibers have the same benefit. So it's very important to have a variety of different fibers in the diet. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Well, we know that there are many, many health benefits to fiber. And we we know that one of the benefits of fiber is that there's a delayed nutrient absorption. There's a blunting of glucose and insulin response as a result of that. So we say that there's a delayed nutrient absorption. Well, basically, that means that when we add fiber to the diet, we're, we're going to feel full for a longer period of time. Food does not digest as rapidly. It doesn't disappear in the gut as rapidly. So we feel full. We feel more satiated for a longer period of time. All of that is of benefit from a calorie management standpoint. In addition, there's a change in gut hormones. As you can see in this slide, well, if I could get that next slide, that would be great. But in this slide, we see that satiety improves, glucose management improves, insulin um, secretion improves, and dietary fibers from fruits and vegetables, as well as fibers that are added into foods, create the very identical benefits. So there, one isn't better than the other. It is that variety that you mentioned, Susan, that is really key. But, you know, if we talk about the benefits of fiber, it really is from top to bottom. When we eat food with fiber, it increases right in our mouth the benefit of satiety because we have to chew more. We chew more, it slows down our eating. There's a greater production of saliva, and that greater production of saliva has an influence on satiety. We have been talking about how added fiber as well as intact fiber all play a role in digestive health, especially with bowel movement regularity. So for many, many people, this is a very important benefit. And then lastly, fiber 
from both added or intact standpoint gives us a fermentation uh, situation where it improves or changes the microbiota effects of, of our GI tract. So it has a prebiotic effect. And we mentioned that some added fibers increase calcium absorption, may uh, actually cause retention of calcium. So this enhanced mineral absorption benefit is something that we can attribute to fiber. So when you look at this slide and you say, it seems as if fiber does so much, the answer is it does. Mm -hmm. We all need to pay attention to getting more fiber in our diet. Increased satiety always catches everybody's eye because fiber helps to fill you up along with an staying hydrated with drinking enough water that's so important in terms of sustainability with eating healthy foods if you enjoy what you're eating and you're it's palatable and you stay satisfied with it you are more likely co to continue eating well so I, I love that point that you made about that because that's reality. That's how people can understand how well this would work with exactly. the physiology here and with the reality of putting this into practice. People have, in order to sustain healthy eating, we have to like what we're doing. So we can actually go on to the next slide from here and combine these two about, Chris, this is this slide I think is very telling. We have two different foods that we're highlighting here. Um, one is yogurt, one is a granola bar. So can you start with the yogurt and just say what you're comparing here on the nutrition facts panels? Right, well, if you look at the yogurt, um, one of the first things that you see, the reference, um, the reference nutrition facts uh, bar is really, Picture in your mind the regular yogurt that you might purchase. And now the, the comparison is uh, we've got soluble fiber has been added and Splenda has been added along with a couple other um, low-calorie sweetening agents. And you can see it's, it's regardless of what you traditionally buy, we just want to show you this comparison. Look at the change in calories. So we're, we've gone from regular yogurt to 93 calories per serving to 81 calories. From a carbohydrate standpoint, we've gone from 13 and a half grams of carbs down to 10.4 grams. And from a dietary fiber standpoint, in this particular fiber, it's gone from zero grams to three grams. So what we're trying to do here is really just show you how added fibers and a change in sweetening agent from full calorie sweetener to low or calorie free sweeteners makes a difference. It may not be the level of difference that you would have liked, you know, taking it from let's say 93 calories down to 50 calories, but it's a change that over time would add up. So it is relevant to all of us that are wanting to manage calories and manage carbohydrates. Jumping over to the granola bar, it's the very same thing. The reference granola bar is um, looking at, let's just say one granola bar would be more like 40 grams per weight. So this is a higher calorie um, 
it, it, you're looking at higher calories than what would be in one individual granola bar. But it's so, just the idea. You're just pointing it, out what the difference exactly. is. You know, reference exactly. Reference and that in the um in the sweetener. Okay. Right. So now with the added fiber, the oat beta glucan and the um, monk fruit extract with some crystalline fructose, you can see that there's a pretty big change in calories from 389 calories to 261 calories. And I do want to just point out that even though this isn't just identifying an individual granola bar, we are talking about 100 grams of weight in both of these products. Jumping mm -hmm. down to the carbohydrates, look at that significant savings in carbohydrates from 71 grams to 39 grams. And then look at the huge difference in fiber, going from three grams of fiber to 27 grams. So these are both excellent examples of very commonly consumed foods, yogurt and granola bar, that we could make small changes in our diets to get very, very big benefits in three key ways, calorie reduction, carbohydrate reduction, and an increase in fiber. All three things that are going to ultimately, at the end of the day, influence total calorie consumption, total carbohydrate intake, and the achievability of getting that 25 plus grams of fiber in. So important of not only what you're taking out by saving on the calories and the carbohydrate, and the protein stays stays even right across, but adding in the fiber is very significant to the work that we're trying to do um, with our the people that we work with, trying to help people make small steps lead to big changes. That's always my right. motto. Um, Chris, before we do ask people to submit their questions, which we would love, we, ha we have definitely a few minutes to talk about. Can you please review some of the key points that we talked about today, mm -hmm. just to remind people of, of some of the highlights of what you so eloquently discussed during the, through the webinar? Well, I think it's really been clear through our conversation that research has linked sweeteners to weight maintenance, as well as modest weight loss with absolutely no detrimental effect on glycemic response in people who have been diagnosed with diabetes. Um, added fibers, um, a clear message today, um, shows that it can help close the gap between fiber intake and recommendations for fiber, along with providing many beneficial health um, aspects. Um, fiber also may support weight management, blood glucose control, blood cholesterol reduction, healthy laxation, as well as overall digestive health. And then I think it's been really clear in our conversation today that low or reduced calorie or even calorie-free sweeteners, as well as added fibers, can be used in combination within foods and beverages to reduce calories while providing optimal sweetness, taste, as well as the texture that consumers um, recognize and love. So these are the key messages that I hope are our takeaways. I would totally agree with that. Um, and I want to thank everybody again and turn this over to Maureen so that she can ask for some questions that people may have to ask Chris regarding. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. 
Great. That was a, a really informative presentation. So thanks to you guys. Um, we have one attendee who asks, how do you know if a food contains inherent or added fiber? Who wants to take that? <laughs> I, I'd be happy to, uh, to start. Um, fruits and vegetables or whole grains that are basically not processed, you know, fruits that you would buy in the regular grocery store, whether they might be a dried fruit or a fresh fruit, even maybe a frozen fruit or vegetable, those will contain intact fibers, fibers that are found naturally in the, in, in the food. It's more likely that a food that has been processed or has been, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll probably use the word processed, has the opportunity for the food or beverage industry to add fibers to it. So, and, and then again, with a nutrition facts uh, label, the individual can always go to that panel and look for added fibers. Um, you know, yogurt is, is a dairy product that typically does not have fiber in it normally as an intact um, ingredient. So that would be, it would be very common to go to the facts panel and see if it says added fiber. So that would be one recommendation. Susan, what do you think? Anything else to add there? No, that was a great summary of it. And again, different fibers do different things from different sources. Just one of the things that's promoted going back to the MyPlate kind of recommendations are eating fruits and vegetables from the rainbow for exactly this reason. Different fruits, different vegetables, different food products have different kinds of fiber. So just a variety of different ones is really what we're recommending. Um, and as Chris said, certain things inherently just don't have intact fiber, which is why some of these foods will now have fiber adding added into them from the manufacturer's standpoint so that they can include more fiber. Okay, that's great. Uh, we have someone else asking, can you provide examples of common foods you can find at the supermarket that contain sweeteners? Chris, go ahead. Sure. sure. Um, now, I'm assuming that the caller is asking about um, re reduced or low-calorie sweeteners? Is, uh, they, yeah, they ask low-calorie sweeteners. Uh, okay, good. Okay. So, yogurt, um, some juices, granola bars, cereals, um, salad dressings, spaghetti sauce are a few that may now be shifting from all of the regular uh, sugar that they used in the past to either reduced or uh, or calorie-free sweetening agents. Those are just a handful. And also, if I might chime in, of course, baked goods. So you yeah. will see a number of baked goods like pies, cakes, cookies. That, and, we're, and we're not, believe me, we're not promoting to eat a lot of these. We're just answering the questions where they might be found. Even certain candies. So without mentioning brands, you'll see um, a, a candy bar and then you'll see one that is made with a 
non-nutritive uh, sweetener as a substitute to reduce the amount of sugar in them, it should be pointed out again on all of these products to be very cautious reading the food labels and for the serving sizes and to look at the calories, the carbohydrate content and the fiber content to make sure that you're still eating the right amount of carbohydrate grams to properly manage your blood glucose levels. It's very complicated and that's why we were hoping as dietitians that the new food labels would come out sooner rather than later, kind of crossing our fingers for that. Okay, great. And um, we have time for one more question. And this uh, person is asking, how can you prepare baked goods with low calorie sweeteners at home? So for baked goods with low calorie sweeteners, there are certain exact substitutions, which you can find. I, I can't go through through them all now, but I, if you do go to the Diabetic Lifestyle um, website, we do have articles and we do have um, blogs and recipes which will give that information. For example, it will say instead of using a quarter of a cup of sugar, then you use this much of whatever sweetener you want to use. Some of that information is also available on the sweetener websites, but it's it's a swap. There can be some changes. It's not a one-for-one -one swap. They'll tell you exactly what the measurement difference is. And that also goes back to what Chris was saying. There's a difference in texture. There's, a, there's, a, there's also a difference in the potency of the sweeteners compared sugar in a number of the recipes. Okay, well, Chris and Susan, we want to thank you so much for this super informative presentation. And we also want to thank everyone who joined us and took the time to be with us today. We hope you visit us at diabeticlifestyle.com. Take care.